Hello, friends. Happy Wednesday. Welcome to the Cedarville Stories podcast. Today's interview is with Jim Leitenheimer, Associate Professor of Communication at Cedarville University. This is an awesome conversation about the evolution of radio. Both Mark Weinstein and Jim have a passion for media and using it to share the gospel. Enjoy their conversation. Joining me today on the Cedarville Stories podcast is Jim Leitenheimer, also known as Mr. L to his students. So, um... What brought you to Cedarville? Well, I came to Cedarville as an 18-year-old freshman. Okay. <laughs> when Cedarville was a very different place. Where are you from? I'm originally from Portsmouth, Ohio. Okay. I uh, grew up there and uh, didn't really know anything about Cedarville until I was probably 17. was dating a gal whose sister attended here. Some of my friends from high school intended to come here. And I came up for a youth group event. Mm. That was my first introduction to Cedarville. Okay. There was nothing north of Maddox at that point. Oh, wow. <laughs> You've seen a lot of growth in your time. Yes, sir. It's true. God has done amazing things. Yeah. So you, you come as a student. You graduate with, I assume, a degree in some communication? Yes. I had a degree in speech and in broadcasting. Okay. Double emphasis. And uh, graduated in 1980, went away for two years, actually started working at a station in Dayton several, year, uh, several months before graduation, started a full-time job there, worked there for about two and a half years, and then God brought me back to Cedarville. What station were you at? I was a WFCJ. Okay. I did afternoon drive and was public affairs director there okay. for about two and a half years. And how did the Lord bring you back to Cedarville? Well, I was looking to move to another station. I felt like uh, God was leading me to, uh, to move to another position. I'd learned some things at WFCJ, gathered some experience, and I was interviewing at a station in St. Louis, mm. and I called Wes Baker to make sure that it was okay that I used him as a reference. Sure. And he said, funny, you should call today. Oh, no. There's a story here. <laughs> Your name came up in a meeting with Dr. Phipps today. Dr. Phipps was the chairman of the comm department at the time. And um, he said, we're looking to expand. At that point, Wes was a one-man band. He taught everything. So we're looking to expand, and we'd like to bring somebody in to handle the radio aspects and the audio production aspects. And your name was the first one that came up, but we didn't think, we didn't dream that you'd be willing to come. Yeah. And that started the ball rolling. Wow, what a, what a journey it's been. That's true. And, and we'll, we'll get into that. We'll get into that in a little bit. But, um, you know, when I, when I think of your name, and well, actually when people think of your name, um, your former students, your students, people who know you, um, your name is synonymous with radio. What, what pulled you into radio that it actually turned into a career for you? Well, you have to go back to when I was... Uh... A freshman student here. I came in as an undeclared. I didn't know what I wanted to do. <laughs> and I, I really majored in extracurricular that first year, I think. Who didn't? <laughs> I sure did. I wasn't a very serious student at that point. Right. And some of the old timers listening to this, sorry if I refer to you as an old timer, but you'll remember a man named Bob White. Bob was a very imposing figure. He was the I believe he was the academic vi- vice president. No, he wasn't the academic vice president. Bob White was an administrator at the time. He also handled some undeclared majors. So he was my advisor freshman year. Okay. And 
Bob called me in for advising spring term for the fall. And I, I didn't have a very good GPA. And he says, Leitenheimer? I think he did a little character diagnosis. He says, Leitenheimer, you may as well just pack it in. You know, I don't think you're going to make it. Oh, he wow. was throwing down the gauntlet, really. I wasn't wise enough to, to understand that at that point. But in the interim, God had been working in my life. There were some upperclassmen in my dormitory who were very serious about radio. I knew we had a, a good FM network here on campus, WCDR. And I was attracted to their enthusiasm and passion. So that got me exploring. So I started exploring at fall of my sophomore year, and that just happened to be the same time that Wes and Rebecca Baker came to campus. Uh, Wes came to teach the broadcasting courses at that time. He was very passionate, very professional, very mm -hmm. knowledgeable, an inspiring character, truly. And it captured me for broadcasting. Uh, very quickly after that, I started working at the FM network and worked there almost three years okay. as a student. Now, just listening to you talk, it, it seems obvious why you went into radio, because you have a great voice. Um, how do you use that voice today? I worked almost 30 years at the FM network when I came back on faculty. Okay. And uh, did the morning show at one point, did the afternoon show. Um, and since I uh, don't have that creative outlet anymore, um, I have sought freelance work. I've done some audiobook work. I've done some uh, voiceover for uh, industrial videos. I did a training video for a large hospital network in the area. Um, dealing with violence in the emergency room, I think, was the topic of that one. Really? Do things for churches and ministries, yeah. athletes in action. Yeah. Now, let's go back to your days as a student. Um, what was the radio station like on campus at that time? Sure. WCDR was, I believe at that point, maybe 3,300 watts. Well, it had a good FM signal that covered southwest Ohio fairly well. Okay. Reached down maybe to the north side of Cincinnati, covered Dayton Springfield pretty well. Um, and it was professionally operated. At the time I started working there as a student, um, they had professionalized to the point where they had a pretty much full-time staff, a very solid staff, and uh, there were only several students a year that could get in there to get any experience. And I was fortunate enough to be one of the students who got to fill one of those positions. I worked weekday evenings from 6 to midnight. That's back in the day where the radio station would sign off at midnight. Okay. And then I would do an eight-hour shift on a Saturday or Sunday. So I got a lot of experience. Yeah, that's great experience. Um, from, from those early days to today... How has the radio industry changed? And then I want to add a second part, part to that is, how have you been able to keep up with all that change? Well, radio has changed dramatically in the time I've been involved. Uh, when I started, it was pretty much an analog medium. That's one thing. Sure. And we're digital now. Right. Fidelity is much higher. I remember the first time that we didn't receive news from the network via a telephone line. You know, it came in via a telephone line. It was equalized. It sounded okay. But the day that we switched to satellite reception, mm -hmm. it was as if the news person, wherever they were coming from, it was as if they were in the room. Uh, our recording technology, I started off, everything was in tape for production. Now everything's digital. Right. Uh, disc recording. All right. Okay. Uh, so there have been those changes. In terms of the industry itself, 
some major things have happened. Consolidation. You know, you didn't have iHeart. You didn't have, um, even in the Christian world, you didn't have the K-Loves, the... Salem's. Salem's. You didn't have uh, Way FM in the size that they were. Right. You know, there were a lot more independent stations. And that's proposed some challenges and some real benefits. You know, higher quality programming, uh, I think, uh, is is one of the positive things. Um, that's arguable. One of the things we've lost is localism. We have. You know? Yeah. You know, it, it's impossible if you're operating on 400-plus stations or 500-plus stations uh, with a morning show to address what's happening in each of your communities. Not possible. Right. But there are some bright lights where local radio is still done. That's exciting. So with with the um, evolution of radio, the change of radio, uh, being on in, at an academic institution, you have to stay current. How sure. have you been able to stay current so that you could prepare your students for what will come after they graduate? Sure. Well, a really important part of it is staying connected through trade magazines, professional conferences, and associations relationships with professionals um, that I know, folks that are in my network who attended Cedarville, some of my graduates, folks who never attended Cedarville that we're connected with, who have hired our people, uh, just continuing to gather information. And we try to be early adopters, you know, uh, instead of being reactors to, to the changes that take place, we try to get on board and we've done that for a number of years in terms of preparing our students for broadcasting as it is today, as opposed to broadcasting as it was five, ten years ago. Mm-hmm. The kind of skill set we're trying to put together where students are somewhat of a media generalist, where writing, uh, analytics uh, are as important as production, on-air work. And when we say production in radio now, it's not just audio production. Everybody's got a website, so they need video production as well. Right. We're really trying to turn out media specialists who, yeah, they're a specialist in terms that they're they're focusing maybe in radio, but they can do all types of media. Right. Yeah. Now, when I when you say that, it triggers in my mind. What that's the same thing that's in my world. Um, the and my example is just last week. I sent a story, a audio clip and video clips. Actually, it was video clips of an interview that we did in, in the Cedarville newsroom to Caleb, to Richard Hunt at Caleb, and he he sent me back an email said thanks for thinking about this for us. And what happened was, and this is this talks to the change of radio, that he was able to take those video clips and put them on their website as a teaching tool for it was for the coronavirus and so you have to think in many different ways just it's just not audio like you say right you've been in radio you've been in commercial radio but you've also started digital radio or online radio at cedarville you started resound radio Uh, when did that take place and how many stations have you started in your lifetime okay uh that's the one and only actually it's It's been several different things, and, and I'll, I'll kind of walk through that. But student radio here at the university started when I was a student. Uh, I, I started it uh, actually as a senior project for Dr. Wes Baker. Mm-hmm. I did a feasibility study on starting a student radio station at Cedarville. I graduated. That was tabled. It was in a file folder somewhere. 
Okay. I was hired several years later, and one of the first things that, that Wes tasked me with, he's like, okay, you're going to teach the audio production courses, you're going to teach radio courses, but we really need to get this radio station that you proposed going. Mm-hmm. So started pretty much right away in 1982-83, exploring the options, doing the research, talking to the administration, you know, talking to my department. All right. And then there was the raising of the funding for it. Okay. Uh, so we started, again, probably roughly in 1982. We went on the air with the first iteration of student radio in April of 1990. Okay. Yeah, April 5th, 1990. We're getting ready to celebrate our 30th. And um, we went on as an AM campus carrier system. Very clunky system, but it worked. Okay. <laughs> It was not over-the-air broadcasting. Our signal went from our studio to the telephone room at maintenance. Then it went out to the power rooms in each of the dormitories where we had a thing called a coupling unit that coupled mm-hmm. it to the power system right. and then had a maybe a 25-watt transmitter. So we had, these little, we had this little network all over campus. In our first iteration, we were called WSRN, the Student Radio Network. Okay. That worked really well until CedarNet came along. All of that additional power in the dormitories and the RF, it hashed that AM signal. So you couldn't really hear on the AM anymore. So we went with low-power FM, and we had an antenna on the base of the water tower right under the ball that blanketed the dormitory area. Okay. (laughs) And we switched to uh, U99.5. We switched to 99.5 FM, and we adopted the name U99.5 FM, because at the same time we were changing from college to university. Okay. So U for university. Sure. Uh, We did that for a few years. We started experimenting with streaming. We actually had a student who was a computer whiz. Uh, No surprise there. Right. Uh, And he took a computer that we got donated, and he adapted it to be a streaming server. Uh, So we started Mm. streaming just on campus. Did a major research project a couple of years later and found out that students weren't you know, listening patterns were changing. They weren't bringing radios to campus anymore. <laughs> you know, and our FM signal, they were listening in the car, but the FM signal wasn't strong enough to listen very far. Okay, right. So when they were headed north to Springfield, they could get us for five minutes. So that was no longer a viable option. So at that point, we put all our eggs in streaming. Mm-hmm. During the same time period, we switched our imaging to resound radio, and we put all of our eggs in that streaming basket and... Uh, began streaming to the World Wide Web and not just on campus. Do you have any idea how many people listen to Resound Radio through the web? Yeah, we have, every year we have, I don't have those figures with me right now, but uh, we have in the multiple thousands of listening sessions going on over the course of uh, the last measured period. It was probably somewhere for a year, somewhere between forty-five and 50,000 listening sessions, people logging in to listen. Okay. How have you viewed and then implemented using radio as a ministry? Sure. Well, that's integral to our approach. Uh, Our programming filter at Student Radio from day one has been Ephesians 4.29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their need that it may benefit those who listen. So we're about building others up, and that's a ministry model. We're serving, we're building others up. And many of the people who process through Resound, we have people that go into general market radio, 
and God bless them. That's a mission field where they have an opportunity to be salt and light. But many of our graduates have chosen to go straight to Christian media. Okay. Uh, we, there are not too many places you can go in the United States and not tune in to a terrestrial signal where you'll hear a Cedarville graduate. Really? Yeah, I'll drive over a three or four state, and I can switch radio if I know, you know, if you, you know the radio station. You can tune presets. You know, I'm going northeast, so when I get to Toledo, I'll switch here. I get to the Detroit area, I'll switch here. We have, again, over 38 years seeing God do an amazing thing with putting our people at stations and networks around the country in large numbers. What does that mean to you as one of the faculty members, or maybe even the faculty member, who has really helped educate those people in radio to really serve the Lord in radio? Uh, it's one of the most fulfilling things. You know, when I look back on, on the last 38 years, it is one of the most fulfilling things. Um, somebody approached me at a conference a couple of years ago, said, a couple of years ago, and said, "What is it like to know that your graduates are the up-and-coming leaders? Mm-hmm. You know, our, our graduates are not just entry-level people anymore; they're the leaders in Christian media." Yeah, and I said, "Wow, that that's an incredible statement." Took a minute to digest it, and it just you know, it gives us a sense that we are doing a pretty good job of accomplishing what our mission statement is, you know, in terms of preparing professionals to serve Christ in the media. That's the student radio mission statement in a nutshell. So you're fulfilling your mission, uh, very obviously. I, I, um, I will often tune in to um, the river when mm-hmm. I'm driving east through Columbus uh, because I know uh, um, Craig Bennington's there, uh, Bill Montgomery, uh, Dave Stevens all work at the, the river, plus several others. Yeah, we have about a half a dozen there. Uh, I'm just so impressed with what God's doing with all of our graduates. We have at Way FM, one of our spring graduates this year was there. I haven't counted, but it's either the 16th or 17th hire at the Way FM network, which is a, uh, an excellent uh, Christian radio network nationwide. Right. Uh, we have people at Air One and K Love. Operations on all of those stations. We have people at Moody. <laughs> we have people uh, Family Life Radio. Uh, just so proud of all of them. They're all doing the thing that God wants them to do. And it's powerful. Well, I, I commend you for um, the role you played in a lot of young people's lives who are now making a difference in Christian radio or, or even in this radio in general for the purpose of sharing the gospel. I want to transition a little bit uh, away from radio, um, more about Jim Leitnheimer. Um, when you're not teaching, when you're not working with the radio, what do you like to do? What, what keeps your attention and what really gets you excited? Well, spending time with family, and that's a challenge for Beth and I because our family is kind of spread all over the place. We've had kids in multiple countries. I think at one point we had three of our five overseas for an extended period. Uh, so family is the first thing. Grandkids, probably the first of the first. <laughs> that's, that's the best of it. Um, in a, you know, Beth and I also like to spend time reading, like to spend time outdoors. I've been an outdoorsman my entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, 
like to wilderness trek in Algonquin Provincial Park in Canada. Right. Did that a lot with the kids uh, when they were growing up. Like to bike, like to walk. Walking or hiking. Haven't you done some hikes with your brother in mind? That's true. You have a good memory. That's been a while. That's probably been five, six years. Yeah. Uh, one of my brothers passed away after about a three-year battle with cancer. And he was very heavily invested in the Boy Scouts. He had poured a lot of time and effort into a Boy Scout camp that he grew up at in southern Ohio. And when he passed, I just felt like I wanted to do something to uh, recognize his investment and, you know, just to, uh, to give it a push. Right. So I put together something that I refer to as my old man tathalon. <laughs> uh, I walked 20 miles approximately from Cedarville to the Fayette County line until the bike path ended over there. Okay. A friend, uh, Wes Baker, brought my bicycle to me at that point, uh, took my backpack, stuff like that. Um, so I switched to the bicycle, and I pedaled 54 miles to Chillicothe. Okay. And then another, Dick Walker came and uh, brought me a canoe, took my bike, and <laughs> dropped off a buddy. And the two of us canoed the Scioto River 74 miles from Chillicothe. Uh, and you'll say, Seven, it's not that far. Well, that, that's a windy river. It doesn't go straight. <laughs> no. No. So uh, 74 miles, we paddled into the mouth of the uh, Scioto into the Ohio there at Portsmouth. Okay. Took about two and a half days. And you, 144 miles. From start to finish, you just did it all until it was done. Yes. I'm curious, how did you know it was 74 miles in a canoe? Well, uh, another canoe group had gone through there a number of years before. I did a lot of research, checked the hydrologic tables to see how much water there'd be in the river when we were proposing to go, and um, found a group's trek, and they had measured off somehow. They had figured it out, um, what the miles. So I'm, I'm citing their mileage. Besides the journey and the actual physical exercise that you're doing, what was going through your mind, if you can recall? Because um, you had to be thinking about your brother, Absolutely. With every with every step, with every paddle, what were, what, what were your thoughts? You recall? Well, I, very grateful for my brother. Um, my brother's quite a bit older than than me. He would be maybe thirteen, fourteen years older than than uh, than I am. Uh, and he spent a lot of time with me when I was little. So he introduced me to hiking. Okay, you know. He would do things like that with me. He'd take me to the pool. He introduced right. me to, you know, he didn't introduce me to swimming, but he got me a lot of pool time. Uh, so I, I just had a lot of good time to uh, to recall that and to remember those times we'd had together and how my start in enjoying the outdoors really came from my older brothers, including Tom. There's something about older brothers that, yeah. uh, boy, if you have a good older brother, uh, it's like you're... Uh, worth in in gold. I remember my older brother taking me to major league baseball games and putt yeah. putt, and he just had a, an interest. and uh, I really appreciate uh, older brothers uh, and mine mine specifically. Uh, my last question um, from from your time as an employee, we'll focus on that. What's your greatest memory memory or most memorable event from your time of teaching, leading, 
the, the radio station, etc. What comes to mind? Well, it's hard to pick one. I'm sure. Uh, God is blessed in so many ways over time. Uh, I don't know if I can isolate one. I would say the thing that has meant the most has been just to see our graduates leave Cedarville, enter careers in media, move to positions of leadership, and still be willing to give back to our program. You know, one of the most rewarding things for me is knowing that I can call a graduate and ask them to talk to a student, right? to interview them for an internship. I have them call and ask for recommendations for job openings, you know, right. uh, I have this job opening. Who would you send me? Who can you recommend? Right. And to call them and ask those things and never to be told no. I don't recall ever having a graduate refuse a request made on behalf of, of a student or our program. The most rewarding thing for me has just been a very responsive alumni body, very supportive alumni body, uh, very much interested in investing in current students. And that speaks to the power of relationships. Yes, sir. Because when you have relationships, you'll do anything to re- keep that relationship strong and help others. And I, that goes to you and all the faculty uh, who, have, who have done that here at the university. So thank you for that. Uh, to God be the glory. But I just want to thank you for uh, investing in the lives of our media of tomorrow um, just by serving well, uh, loving on them showing the love of Jesus, and really teaching them well so they can be salt and light in in their job. So thanks for all that you do there, and also thanks for joining me on the podcast. My pleasure on both counts. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Cedarville Stories podcast brought to you by Cedarville University. If you were encouraged by today's episode, share it with a friend. Please rate and review this podcast on your favorite podcast provider. And connect with us at Cedarville on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And be sure to come back next week when we'll hear another inspiring Cedarville story for God's glory.